Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This is State of Ukraine from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep with NPR's best reporting on a war that's changing the world. What do Russians think of Vladimir Putin's actions in Ukraine? The U.S. and its allies have been hoping that battlefield failures and sanctions would turn the Russian people against the war. So Russian public opinion matters, and we called a man who tries to measure it. He runs an independent polling firm in Moscow. Doing anything independently in Russia is tricky right now, and Russia has branded the Levada Center a foreign agent. Conducting polls is also tricky since dissenters are arrested and the government forbade calling Russia's invasion of Ukraine a war. The Levada Center stays within these guidelines and asks people if they support the actions of the military. Talking via Skype, Center Director Denise Volkov says if you listen carefully, you can learn. Are you conducting the kind of public opinion surveys that Americans will be familiar with here, where it's a telephone survey or an online survey of some kind? What's your method? Well, actually, the figures that we publish and that you can find on our website, it is face-to-face household uh, survey, so very uh, traditional. And in this sense, we believe that speaking on political issues, uh, it is better to uh, speak with people face-to-face than over telephone. And I suppose you also may learn something just from being in someone's house or wherever it is that you, you find them. Do you assure people of anonymity? Uh, Yes, of course, we assure uh, people of anonymity, but of course, uh, uh, we must understand that polls uh, show us not what people uh, really think or really believe, but uh, what they want to share. So when we talk about a survey of public opinion, in your case, what that means is a survey of what people are willing to say in public. We think that it is uh, it is so, and uh, thus we are measuring uh, public attitudes that more or less uh, coincide with how people uh, will behave in public. So let's talk about the results here. When you ask about this military operation in Ukraine, what percentage of Russians say they support it? Well, the cumulative support is about 80%, but it is not monolithic, and it is about 50% who uh, have definite support, who has uh, no qualms about what is happening, who trust uh, Putin in every way. So this 50% uh, is definite support. And then there is uh, 30% support, which people are saying that they rather support. They have more doubts about what's going on. They uh, also show high level of anxiety Maybe they don't support everything that Russian military is doing, but at the same time they say it will be not patriotic not to support. You said anxiety. How is that expressed? We ask about uh, feelings that people have, and we see that in both groups, those who support and who does not support, there are high levels of anxiety, of shock. People are afraid. So it's not about uh, joy, as uh, we saw in 2014, when uh, Crimea was taken and rather peacefully from Ukraine. At that time, there were a lot of positive feelings, euphoria even. This time, we do not see this euphoria. 
it's rather that people understand that this is serious, that there is fighting, but at the same time, uh, many say that they're supporting, and some people even say that they they should support because it's international conflict and they have to support their government. When the United States goes to war, it would be easy to find Americans who say, I don't understand this, or it makes no sense to me, it's even a dumb idea, but I support the troops. Is that the kind of thing that you hear from a percentage of Russians? Yes, I think it's exactly the words that many people from this uh, uh, 30% of weak support are saying. They see that, uh, well, people suffering, but at the same time, they say right or wrong, my country. How are Russians feeling about their economy? Well, economic problems certainly accumulate. And already one quarter of uh, our respondents say that they feel the effect of sanctions, that the sanctions uh, bite. Uh, We see that, uh, I think, more people who are from disadvantaged groups, they, I think, suffering most because they do not have resources to adapt to the situation. But at the same time, there are groups in the big cities who are well off, who uh, were connected very well to the West, and I think they also suffer, but rather morally. Uh, But at the same time, they have more resources to adjust to the situation. Did I hear you say that some people suffer morally? Did you say that? Yeah, well, I mean that there are certain groups in uh, Russian society who were more connected to the open world. These are the groups who were less inclined to support this uh, military operation. But at the same time, they find themselves cut from the West. (laughs) So in this sense, they find themselves between conflicting sides. But at the same time, they suffer because they were so well connected. Uh, to the outer world, and they now experience Russia being cut off from the open world, most of all. Do you think that the views of ordinary Russians matter in some way to a Russian government trying to stay in charge? Of course, uh, public opinion matters. It's not that the Russian government uh, consult public opinion just to understand what they want to do next. But of course, they're monitoring it to be sure that uh, the situation is under control and is uh, calm. So they are monitoring quite closely. Denise Volkov of the Levada Center, an independent pollster in Russia. Thank you so much. Welcome. I'm glad to be with you. Passover begins at sunset on Friday. Jews at Passover Seders tell the story of Exodus, of a people leaving behind everything they knew in search of the promised land. Some Jews who have fled Ukraine feel they are living such a story. Dina Pritchett reports. The decision to leave home is not an easy one. Olena Khalina was in Kharkiv when the war started. Russian planes dropped bombs right outside. This sound is something I even cannot find the word because... It's like super low and super noisy, and your house is just trembling. In the Passover story, the Hebrew people leave Egypt with almost no notice. The unleavened matzah symbolizes the fact that bread didn't even have time to rise. Khalina found out about a bus out of town two days before it left. But still... Home is your friends. Home is your family. Home is your job. But everything that you can take with you is just a backpack or suitcase. 
and you should put all your home in it. So it's impossible and you are living everything that is just valuable for you. Halina is traveling from her temporary home in Prague to spend Passover with Ukrainian friends who've landed in Berlin. And to remind her of home, she keeps singing an old Ukrainian song about love and springtime and things blooming again. Across Europe, across the world, Ukrainian refugees will attend Passover seders, and they'll tell the story of wandering while they're refugees themselves. In shelters, in uh, refugee camps, or synagogues, doesn't matter. We will celebrate anyway. Julia Gris is the rabbi of Temple Shirat Hayam in Odessa. She's now staying with a congregation in Oldenburg, Germany. She'll be at a Seder there and leading one via Zoom with the rabbi of Kiev for Ukrainian refugees across the world, or who may still be sheltering back home, so that together they can stop and sort of step out of time. Sweet matzo and bitter herbs and drink four cups of wine. And of course, we'll share our dreams to better times. At many satyrs, these traditional symbols will be joined by new ones to draw clear parallels between Pharaoh's army and Russian forces. Olive branches for peace, beets and sunflowers for Ukraine itself. Boris and Victoria Fichtman were away from their native Odessa when the war started. They traveled from Hungary to Romania to Moldova and only just reunited with their three-year-old daughter. I don't know what what will be in future in future tomorrow even we don't know what will be tomorrow next year in jerusalem is the last line of the traditional seder jerusalem is more than a physical place it's an idea when things will be restored from germany to the czech republic to moldova these refugees are grateful for everyone who's welcomed them but it's not the promised land and when this year's Seder ends for Julia Gris and Olena Halina and Boris and Victoria Fichtman, I will say, next year in a peaceful Ukraine. Next year in free Ukraine. Next year we will be free people. Ukrainian people. And they hope to reach that promised land well before next year. For NPR News, I'm Dina Pritchett. And this is State of Ukraine from NPR News. Milton Guevara produced and Catherine Laidlaw edited this episode. I'm Steve Inskeep. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear... 
It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.